Matthew 27, verse 11 through 26. September 1993, I was a freshman at Furman University and was playing flag football, uh, intramural Furman rules flag football, by which you have four plays to get 50 yards, and if you don't, it goes to the other team. But the ball can always be moving, so it's like every play is like a desperation. How many times can we flip it back to somebody play? That's Furman Rules football. And I got underneath a gentleman, gentleman, 18-year-old, 19-year-old man, boy, child, who he went up to catch the ball, and I, he was positioned in such a way I couldn't get in front of him. So I just stood underneath him as the ball was coming in and was just going to grab his flag, and so he would be down at that, at that point. And so he's up here, and he grabs the ball, and I'm underneath him grabbing his flag, and he catches it and comes down with a legal football move, and elbowed me right in the nose. And I, so I broke my nose right then and there. And just blood, blood, death. I mean, it was everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, yes, but I know that was a Zootopia reference just for you. That was just, just for you. Home on uh, that Friday before, you know, like six days before Thanksgiving, and I had surgery in Jackson, Mississippi on my broken nose. And, um, and then I got to sit in my mother's condo um, for, for six days in my underwear, taking oxycodone or a hydrocodone or something codone. And, um, and I, I don't remember much, but 1993's Thanksgiving Day football game is, is, a famous, uh, is a very famous game, especially if you are, as you all should be, Dallas Cowboy fans. Um, I know, I know. So again, foggy because of the something codone that I was taking. But I do remember this very famous play at the end of the near the end of the game. It was snowing in Irving Stadium in, uh, in Cowboy Stadium in Irving, Texas, and um, the Cowboys were up 16 to 14, and the uh, Eagles were lining up to uh, kick. Or excuse me, the Dolphins were were lining up to kick a winning field goal game in the snow in Dallas. In November, which is crazy, okay, but it was, that's what was going on, okay? Global warming, I'm sure. And so the, um, or excuse me, climate change. The, um, <clears throat> so they line up to kick, and one of the uh, players for Dallas that, who was, listen, let me tell you about this guy. This guy was, he was, he was a, an outstanding football player, okay? Two-time pro bowler three Super Bowl rings, and for a cowboy, that's saying something, okay? 22 sacks, 360 tackles. He was more of a run, run defense guy. 128 pressures, 37 tackles for a loss, 27 deflected passes, four blocked kicks, seven fumble recoveries, and only 120 games. Didn't have a real long, real long career. Leon Lett is his name absolutely stellar football player, okay? So by any stretch of the imagination, that's what he was. Somebody blocked the Dolphins' kick for the field goal in the Cowboys. It's the kicker's name Stojanovich, and uh, so somebody on the Dallas side got up, got up and blocked the kick, and the ball just kind of wandered off. And once the ball stops, it's a dead play. Dallas has won the game. They've blocked the kick until Leon Lett thought, oh, no, live ball 
and he ran in the snow on AstroTurf and tried to cover the ball, fall on it, but in doing so, he slipped in the snow and kicked the ball down toward the end zone, and the, uh, and the, made, which made it a live ball, and the Eagles recovered it. After 19 seconds left, they miss a kick, then they get the ball on the one-yard line, and they make a kick, and they win the game, all because of Leon Lett. So Leon Lett, three-time Super Bowl ring, Pro Bowler, all those things. Nobody knows anything about Leon Lett in that regard. All they know is, oh, Leon Lett, that's the guy who blew the Cowboys game in 1993 Thanksgiving, right? He's not famous for all of his awesome achievements. He's famous for all the wrong reasons, right? For the things that he did that particular game that even I remember hyped up on Codone, okay? So now there are a lot of, like, viral videos almost exist for this purpose, right? We all, like, everybody kind of wants 15 seconds of fame, <laughs> but usually that comes about for all the wrong reasons, the things that we do that are just, that are just goofy, okay? And there are a lot of biblical examples that you could point to in this regard, but I would point to you this morning to Pontius Pilate, who is one of the very surprising figures in Christianity who is famous for all the wrong reasons. He's the Leon Lett of Christianity. The Apostles' Creed. There are two human beings who are only human beings mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Pontius Pilate. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And He was crucified, He was dead and buried. So, for 2,000 years, Pilate has been viral in Christianity for all the wrong reasons. It was under his authority, his legate, his governorship, his prefectorate that Jesus suffered what he is going to suffer next week in the cross, right? And it's interesting that Matthew spends so much time reflecting on Pilate's role in Jesus' crucifixion. There's hardly any mention of Jesus in this narrative. It's all about Pilate and his uh, political navigating of the situation that he's in. So Matthew's intent, the Lord's intent, is that we learn from Pilate's life and contrast and compare that with Jesus and point us to the the gospel and the work that Jesus is going to do. So this morning, I want us to do that. I want us to learn from Pilate's actions. I want us to see ourselves in this text. I want us to go straight to the table when when we do so. So look at verse 11 with me. It's absolutely impossible to get into Pilate's head, um, all that he had to deal with in this moment. But the one thing I want you to see over and over again, it's really just one point, I just want to show it to you in the text, is that Pilate was a consummate politician. He was a politician. I'm going to use that word a lot, and I'm going to use it in mostly a negative framework, negative context. It doesn't mean you can't be a politician and be a good person, Okay. But in this regard, you're going to see Pilate behaving in such a way that's so politically motivated, it actually defined him as a person. And, um, and, it, and it was to his demise. And it is to ours too. Look at verse 11. We're going to read through verse 26. And then I want to show you four things in the text on the way to the table. Jesus stood before the governor 
Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. And Jesus answered, you say so. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge so that the governor was quite amazed. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. And while he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. And Pilate asked them, What should I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? They all answered, Crucify him. Then, they sa- then he said, Why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, Crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. So throughout the passage, you can see that Pilate has a an exclusively Roman political view of Jesus and what's going on here. He's only looking at Jesus. He's only considering the situation from his position as a political leader of Rome, right? And all the authority and the, and the opportunities and the responsibilities that come with that role. I want to show you one, two, three, four things, four, time, four places. Look at verse 11. So in verse 11, Pilate refers to Jesus as king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? This is different than what Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin asked Jesus, right? Um, There, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin said, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? Are Are you blaspheming is what they're asking, right? Which is a theological accusation. Pilate doesn't care about theology. There's no theology in the Roman court. Well, there's lots of theology in the Roman court, but not like this. Okay. So by referring to Jesus as king of the Jews, it tells you that Pilate is much more concerned about the potential threat that Jesus might be against the peace of Rome, against his Pilate's uh, ability to lead this backwater Palestinian area that he's in. In other words, Pilate has a political posture. He's thinking and acting like a politician. What do I need to do to protect my authority, my leadership, keep the peace so that Rome and the authority over me still like me and keep me here so I can keep up with mine? Are you the king of the Jews? That's what I really want to know. Right. But look at verse 13. 
Pilate is shocked at the lack of answers that Jesus doesn't give. Right? Jesus is on all these trumped up charges. His life is on the line. You put yourself in Pilate's shoes. Can you imagine how many times he's had somebody's life in his hands? Daily. And can you imagine how many arguments he's heard from different people about why they shouldn't have their life taken or shouldn't be imprisoned? I've been teaching Bible interpretation and uh, survey of biblical literature and survey of the Old Testament and survey of the New Testament and survey of the Old and the New Testament at Liberty University for 13 years. There's not a student who's going to be able to give me an excuse that I can't see through. (laughs) Because I've been there and I've done that as a student. (laughs) And I've gotten, I can't tell you how many grandmothers almost die the day before your Bible or interpretation paper is due. It's unbelievable, like, or whatever, right? I sound so harsh. I just, it's just an illustration to point. Pilots has expectations because he's been there and done that, and Jesus is blowing his mind. Because there are all these charges, and his life is on the line, and Jesus is meek. Jesus is beatitude, Jesus. This is not a trait that many politicians practice or understand. No offense to the politicians, right? So his reflection on Jesus' mode of operation in this moment reveals just how locked into the political mindset that he is. Okay? And you can also see Pilate's political prowess at work in verse 18. Look at the, the narrative around this whole Barabbas thing. This is fascinating. Look at verse 17 and 18. Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ. He's throwing in the theology. Verse 18, very important. For he knew, Matthew gives this commentary, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Wow, that is a savvy politician who knows the motives of the people in the crowd. Because if you know the motives of the people in the crowd, then you can make decisions based on that reality, sometimes without them even knowing it, and you can influence them without them actually realizing that you're the one that's doing all the influence. This is a savvy guy. It's because the Jewish leaders were, were talking as if their primary concern, because we're talking to Pilate, so we need to put this in a, in a way that Pilate will understand and reflect to. We want to market Jesus' death to Pilate in a way that he'll make, looks like it's for his best interest. So Pilate, we're t- he's a threat to Rome. He's, a thre- he's the king of the Jews. He's a threat to Rome. He's a threat to Rome. You need to execute him. But Pilate saw through all that, he knew that Jesus wasn't really a threat to Rome. He knew that these people were putting Jesus in this place because they were envious of what Jesus had. What did Jesus have that the religious leaders didn't have? The people. Jesus had the people. We're just a few days ago. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there are palm branches and there are rugs. I mean, this Jesus is 
absolutely wildly popular as the Messiah, and the religious leaders are in, and we see it in the narrative over and over and over again. Envy is what is pushing them to get rid of Jesus, and Pilate saw through that, and because he saw through that, he knew he could pull a lever that knowing that Jesus, knowing that the crowd was behind Jesus and that their, their motive of envy of that crowd, Pilate got an idea. You know it's the Passover, and every year we release a prisoner for Passover, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull a lever. I'm going to put up Barabbas, a notorious terrorist, revolutionary, military-type messiah, And I'm going to hold up Jesus. And because the crowd is here, and and the religious leaders are envious of the crowd, envious of Jesus because Jesus has the crowd, I'm going to hold up these two choices, Barabbas or Jesus, and the crowd who loves Jesus, who's for Jesus, is going to choose Jesus to get released, and I'll be out of this predicament that I'm in. Rome gets peace. I come out the clear winner. You see what he's doing? Jesus must have sufficient support if they're all envious of Jesus. So I'll just put up the two and they'll choose Jesus. This is a no-brainer. This is how this is going to work. This is a politician. This savvy guy. And the last place you see this is in verse 20 through 26. Pilate had thought that the crowds would have been in support of Jesus because the religious leadership was envious of of Jesus. But this crowd, like crowds, didn't really have a mind of its own. Okay, You understand the concept of mob rule, how anybody and everybody can get worked up into something and being a part of something and even verbally supporting something they don't actually believe or understand because they're a crowd. This crowd was, it tells you in the text, was told what to think and told what to say by religious leaders who sought Jesus' death. And because they were able to gin up the crowd to want Barabbas instead of Jesus, that's what they chanted. And Pilate's plan backfired. And so with the mob passions running high, not executing Jesus would have only made the entire scenario much worse for Pilate. And because he personally had no great stake in Jesus' release, Jesus had to go. Now, Pilate regarded Jesus' death as a murder, but he also didn't want to be held responsible for it. Like a true politician, he tried to evade accountability for a decision that ultimately was his choice in the end. So he washes his hands figuratively to say, this is not my deal, but it was his deal. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now there were two things pulling at Pilate to, to do the right thing, right? The fact that Jesus would not and did not give any bogus trumped up charge, any validation by remaining silent told Pilate, He knew the truth. He knew they were trumped up charges. He knew the fact that Jesus wasn't giving them any validity. He knew. He knew, and he didn't act. His wife 
had a dream and sent him a message while this was going on. Don't do it. Don't get involved. Guys, when, when the Holy Spirit speaks, Rob eventually listens, right? And when Procula speaks, Pilate didn't. He didn't listen. By the way, though, the Eastern Church, she became a Christian in the, in the Eastern Church tradition, and she's a saint. Interesting. interesting. I learned that. I'm not going to tell you when, because it was last night about 9.30. But I, but I did learn it. It's been a, it's been a crazy week. Okay. But, you, I mean, he had, his, he had Jesus exemplifying this for him. He had Procula, his wife, telling him, don't do it. And, and this, you know, dreams then was God speaking. Right? The divines are telling me something. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. But those things could not overpower his political bent. And for this reason, Christians have confessed day in and day out, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. So we can't get into Pilate's head, but he definitely operated out of a political frame of reference. Pilate was trying, Pilate was trying to appease every side. He was trying to manipulate people and the circumstances in this region, and he thought he could get away with it, but he couldn't. There was a very different leader present during the same experience. And his name is Jesus. Just very quickly, compare and contrast what's going on with Pilate and what's going on with Jesus. In this moment, Jesus was resolved to do the will of the Father. And so he expressed this reality with a silent witness to everything that he had done and said in his life leading up to this moment. You say it so, you figure it out, Pilate. It's on you. You figure it out. You know, you've heard, you've seen, you've done. You figure it out. What does it mean that I'm the king of the Jews? You tell me. He doesn't have to say a word. You tell me. I'm not giving these charges anything. I'm not going to stand up and defend myself against things that have no bearing whatsoever. You tell me. It's a very different leader, isn't it? Jesus did not resort to double dealing. He did not resort to compromise to accomplish his ambitions. He was silent before Pilate spoke loudly and clearly regarding his unwavering commitment. Jesus was saying way more than Pilate, even though Pilate was doing all the talking and Jesus was just standing there. And that's why this morning we're not going to Pontius Pilate's table. Right? We're going to Jesus' table. We are going to the table of the one, this is what Hebrews 12:2 says, we're going to the one who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was laid before him, he endured the cross. The joy. Jesus is on trial before Pilate for the joy that was laid before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right there. That's whose table we're going to because he was that kind of leader. 
Father, we, we want to come to the table together as your people. We do not follow a consummate politician. Although there's nothing wrong with being called into politics. But there is everything wrong with thinking that it's all about us and trying to manipulate things to protect ourselves. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of submission to the Father, obedience for the glory of the Father. And that is the table we come to today. We celebrate you, your work on the cross, your overcoming death through the resurrection, your ascension, and your ruling and reigning this universe at the right hand of the Father. So as we sing and as we partake, as we sing and as we partake, as we reflect, as we remember this work of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, may it um, may you do a work in us by the power of your spirit to live in a same manner. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.